Good afternoon, folks. Good evening. Good morning. It's Old Fart Sports with two young wet ones. Yeah, that's me. That's me, too. Where's me I'm raising three? my hand. We need a third guy in. Oh, wait. There are three guys here. What's count? What the heck? It's going to be an exciting evening that we're going to be talking about the World Series, both college, Major League, and also Oregon State sports, which... Wet one number one over here is yep. really excited. Have you noticed that he's kind of been floating all day? He's jittery. He's a, a little, jittery guy. I'm a little giddy. I'm you a little are kind of giddy. You're yeah. kind of like a kid at Christmas time. Yeah. I'm Gee, excited. Daddy, can we replace those presents with the new ones that I really want? We're going to also be looking at uh, P. Huff's numbers from last week. And, uh, you know, it was a rough week in, in every aspect of football last week, but we'll take a look at that as well. But um, we're also going to be talking with Mike Parker. And Mike Parker is a person that I've known for for uh, about a, yeah, a few weeks now. Uh, okay. All? Well, yeah, there's, there's a few years in there. A couple moons ago. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the other things that I want to have people do is that sometime when Mike is is talking, I want you to close your eyes and imagine who you see in your closed eyes. Because indeed, he is somebody who will bring back memories for a lot, a lot of people, mm-hmm. into the world of baseball. And I'm not going to go any farther than that okay. until Mike is on with us. So okay. we will talk to him about uh, everything that you can imagine under the sun. Hello. It's Mike. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? Kevin Herbst here. Hey, Kevin. How are you? I am doing fantastic. I was just reflecting with the gents here. We've got uh, P. Huff and also Roar Dog who are with me. And uh, you've met both of those gentlemen. You met them down at Aurora when we were uh, through that experience. But let's talk about some of the other things that are going on in the world that is Mike Parker. Mike, uh, we want to talk to you a little bit about what's going on right now, and that's the World Series, the Major League Baseball World Series. And, you know, while I'm not a Dodger fan, I have been for the last week hoping that uh, a team that I I know that in your past you followed, but hope you're still a Dodger fan because they're now in it. Kevin, thanks for remembering that part of my past. It is part of the past, just as a lot of things that I used to (laughs) – very in the collegiate world there was another program i used to follow with a certain degree of passion and interest that i don't anymore so things do change but you know my and and the reason of course you know that in the collegiate realm is the opportunity oregon state gave me to call their games back in 1999 the dodger reason is a little more difficult to figure out and that is uh you know, the first, my first experience as a fan was, and I remember the night, it was June 17, 1966, going to Dodger Stadium, watching Gaylord Perry pitch against Don Sutton, saw Willie McCovey hit a three-run homer to beat my Dodgers that night, 4-1. to one. I cried all the way home from the stadium back to our home in the San Gabriel Valley. My dad said, son, well, there'll be another game. We'll go to another game. It'll be, and the Dodgers ended up winning the pennant that year 
but I fell in love with baseball. I was seven years old and the Dodgers and Vin Scully. And it maintained a pretty strong bond and tie and affection to the Dodgers until the end of Fernando Valenzuela's Mm -hmm. career with the Dodgers. I don't know if, Kevin, were you at Civic Stadium the day Fernando came and pitched for Edmonton at AAA for the Angels? Were you there? Did you sell tickets for that game? I was there then, but I also remember Fernando when he was with the Lodi Dodgers at a time when uh, Michelle Sprague owned the Lodi Dodgers and her husband Ed Sprague uh, owned the Stockton Ports. And at that time, yeah. I would, in between shifts, I would go and play catch with a young, at that time, eight-year-old son of Ed Sprague, who turned out to be Ed Sprague Jr. So, yes. Uh, wow, that's a good connection. Yeah. Man. I didn't know you did that. That's really <laughs> yeah. cool. And Billy Hebert Field is uh, one that I've always had a fond memory of because of uh, Ed Jr. And, and what I got to experience there. So, um, yeah, and I got to call games uh, at Pacific when Ed Sprague was the head coach against mm-hmm. Pat Casey during the Beavers National Championship season of 06. So there's a lot of ties and, and, and connections in this game, Kevin, and that's a good one. Fernando was my guy. I loved him. You know, I, I listened to Scully. I was listening to the radio the night Fernando made his major league debut in 1980. I tried to listen to as many of the games as I could in 81 angling the radio on top of my roof where I was going to school in Eugene at the time at Oregon. I'd get on top of a roof and with a big transistor to try to get the signal in a little better when Fernando got out 8-0 and with five shutouts. I, I followed every one. I feel like I followed almost every one of those pitches. I saw one of his eight shutouts that year in person at Dodger Stadium against St. Louis in August of 81 after the strike uh, and then the resumption of play. So he's always he, he's probably my all-time favorite baseball player pitcher and when Fernando left the Dodgers something in my heart left and I was distant now not living down mm-hmm. there anymore. So I would say from 1990 on I've not really had a team in Major League Baseball that I've really gotten behind. The Mariners runs have been interesting regionally for us, you know, when they the 95 thing was unbelievable. And still, you know, I went to a lot of those games, saw I was in at the Kingdome when Edgar hit his incredible double into the corner to score two and win that series. I was holding my six-month-old daughter in my arms when that happened at the Kingdome. So I have fond memories of a lot of moments in baseball and a lot of uh, great experiences in different ballparks and different players. But the Dodger love was essentially from 66 to 90. And so, you know, I... I really don't have a dog in the fight in this World Series. Well, you know, one of the things that I do uh, remember quite well, Mike, is uh, seeing a particular team that you had the fortunate experience of uh, watching them win three championships over the course of uh, 12 or 13 seasons, and that's the Oregon Mm -hmm. State Beavers. And I still remember that bus traveling down uh, into Pioneer Square and and, uh, you coming out and meeting up with you then and and uh, just the smile on your face was something I'll never forget but the the glory that you brought to the entire state and the entire region was uh, second to none those experiences Kevin are yeah they're just uh, you know the the great writer Thomas Boswell writing of the 78 playoff game between the Red Sox and Yankees the Bucky Dent game that broke. In fact, that broke my heart more by then. I love the Red Sox. I've always had kind of a, a romantic interest of sorts in the Red Sox and their, 
their troubled times to try to get and finally break through and win a World Series. But Boswell wrote of that playoff game, the 5-4 to four victory for uh, the Yankees in, in the one-game playoff, October 3rd, 1978. He said, we all, you know, so it was over. We left Fenway Park. He said, bearing with us canvases for a lifetime. And that's how I feel. I carry around with me those images for life from all three of those championship years. And even the first year in 05, with Jacoby Ellsbury helping to lead the way Mm -hmm. to Omaha for the first time in 53 years, 05, 06, 07, 13, 17, and 18, those trips back to Omaha, the three championships are for me canvas for a lifetime among the best experiences I've had, not only as a as a broadcaster, professionally speaking, but just at a personal level. Because as you know, when you're around a team, you travel with them, you stay in hotels with them, you're hanging out with them, you're breaking bread with them, you're interviewing them, you're, you're kind of living and dying on each pitch with them over the course of a long season. And so those teams are close to my heart at a professional, but certainly a personal level. My family got to go to Omaha those first three years. We experienced together when my daughters were young, mm-hmm. two weeks in Omaha, both in 06 and 07. And those are some of the best times I've had in my life. So thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate it. You know, one of the, Mike, it's it's always a pleasure just chatting with you. And, and anytime we get to meet up, it's, it's always a thrill. And uh, one of the things that I was remembering about uh, our time together was uh, something that you brought to fruition for me is I got to spend an inning or two with you uh, with the Bend Rockies. And I don't remember, yeah. don't know if you remember that, but Will Scalzitti hits a uh, bottom of the eighth home run. And uh, I believe the Bend Rockies ended up winning four to three or something of that nature. But just sitting next to you and sitting next to who I have always felt of as a legend. I mean, it was truly a, a gl- glorious and, and joyful moment for me. Well, thank you, Kevin. That's very kind of you to say it that way. I remember coming over for the one game, right? It was a game. Mm-hmm. I don't remember all the details, but I feel like we came over in anticipation of the Bend Rockies becoming the Port- Portland Rockies mm-hmm. the following summer. So, I think we came over and called the last game of the Bend Rockies. Was that the circumstance you recall? Well, actually, no, Was but, you know, that's that's okay. okay. There's been a few years in between there and, and now, but it was the actual very first game in the history of the Colorado Rockies, and it was performed in Bend. Oh, and, that's uh, it. Okay, yeah. I knew there was yeah. something. Okay, I did. That was earlier then, mm-hmm. and then the Bend Rockies eventually left and came to Portland. Exactly. And I thought that's what you were talking about. I think we came over for that too. Yep, yep, you did, <clears throat> indeed did. So some great times, and and uh, you yeah. know, I was just reflecting with the guys here some of the events that uh, I, I flashing back. I remember uh, seeing your name. Uh, when I was working for the Eugene Emeralds years ago on the press box was Mike Parker, who uh, it said, listen to listen to all of the uh, Eugene Emeralds games of Mike Parker on KEED radio. So, <laughs> except, Kevin, except the first time they put the sign up, Bob Beban, who I know you know, <laughs> yeah. Bob put, I mean, whoever, somehow it got communicated to the painter who put that sign up there below the press box. Listen to Eugene Emerald's baseball on Keyed Radio with Mike Barker. Barker. And so, you know, people are asking me, are you related to Bob Barker? Yeah, he's my he's my father. I'm trying to get into the business. This is my first shot. You know, that I joked around with it, but I was not real 
Bob Beban said, we'll get a change. We'll get a change for half the season. I was the voice of the Emeralds, Mike Barker. <laughs> Eventually, he did get the painter back in to put the P up there instead. I must have seen it after uh, Joe, the 103-year-old painter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny some of the people that, well, it's not funny. I mean, it's, you know, kind of uh, neat some of the people that our paths have crossed. Uh, you know, one of the awards in baseball is named after uh, an owner that both uh, you and I worked with, and that was Joe Buses, and uh, mm-hmm. Joe was a guy that you know uh, a lot of people may not remember, but he was well. <laughs> basically, they're not alive anymore. But anyway, uh, Joe was actually a shortstop for the New York Yankees during the twenty yes. seven season, I think. Uh, actually, the legendary a little team. later, Joe. Yeah. Joe was. I know he seemed older than he was. Uh, yeah. It was it was actually nineteen forty five. Oh, there we go. When he took when he played shortstop for the Yankees. It was kind of the end of you know World War II was ending. That's he was what it was. Still, mm-hmm. kind of a uh, a war a wartime player, but he got to take shortstop on opening day in '45 before before all of the ball players were were fully back and ready to go. And so he played some shortstop in '45, and then was displaced when uh, the guys got to come home. Uh, and it, it, kind of it, certainly after VE Day, and then. You know, everybody got to begin to come home uh, after VJ Day and all of that, and the rosters at Major League Baseball's levels were complete with all of the the ball players who had gone over to serve. But the Yankee team was not intact opening day of '45 at that point, and Joe did get to to run out and play shortstop for the Yankees, which, you know, I that it was uh, great to be able to talk to Joe about that over the years. One of the things that I recall as well is a deep down in the catacombs of Civic Stadium as you'd walk down the stairs and into the office and uh, you'd open the one door and then the other door didn't open. Well, thank goodness it didn't on that day because I would have been hit in the head by a pitch from Joe Buses as he was throwing to Jimmy Pearsall, of all people, as they were playing <laughs> wiffle ball inside the stadium, <laughs> inside the office. <laughs> it was dangerous, Kevin. <laughs> he was. Kevin, it was dangerous walking into that office sometimes. And that, I'm telling you. You know, you know Ivan Kafori. Sure. Ivan, Ivan would show up, and the two, the two old, you know, the, the two old they, farts. I would walk in and check out what? <laughs> hey, that's about right. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you say it. But, you know, Ivan walks in. What are you doing here? Joe would say. <laughs> what are you coming around here for? And and Joe would get up and the two would start wrestling and just wrestle around, <laughs> knocking like furniture over into furniture. Work, <laughs> trying to get a little bit of work done. And I've got these two older guys rolling around at my feet. It was, uh, you're right. you you took a risk opening that door sometimes. <laughs> Indeed you did. And we're talking with Mike Parker. And if you've not heard Mike, uh, just close your eyes and listen to him a little bit and see if there's not a uh, little bit of baseball romanticism that enters into your mind as you may hear Vin Scully uh, uh, in those voices. So in that voice that's in your head. So uh, definitely something that a lot of people have commented on in the past. So uh, talk to us now about your situation where uh, the Pac-12 is going to be playing here pretty soon, within the next week or two. And uh, when you look at the Oregon State roster, which I don't know, I imagine you've done your homework, you always do, uh, quite a bit of California and Oregon and even Washington uh, is finding its way onto the roster for the Oregon State Beavers for this year. Yeah, and just one thought on on the Scully thing, Kevin, mm-hmm. I've you know, they, probably you know, to to an extent, 
maybe I might have been a little bit too steeped in, in him and didn't necessarily in the early days try to carve out more of a, a personal style. I just so admired him and grew up from the age of seven until I left. And I, I got to listen to him on a steady basis from the age of seven till about the age of 14, seven plus seasons with the Dodgers before I moved to Oregon. And I was a radio kid listening to Scully, listening to Chick Hearn with the Lakers, Dick Enberg doing radio play-by-play for the Rams. So when you, when you, when you're a young sports fan in a market like that, as I was the radio, it was pre before television had really Mm -hmm. exploded. There weren't many Dodger games on TV. There weren't many Laker games. The NFL, they would still black out games at home. And and so I would listen to a lot of games from the Rams at the Coliseum and love them. So the radio was my connection and my hook. And in all three cases, listening to those three guys, I thought, well, these are the best. There's no one better than these guys. So I tried to learn. Even at a young age, I was thinking someday I'd like to, to do what they do. And I've been grateful to get to call football, basketball, and baseball for the Beavers but, you know, I do think sometimes any of us can end up so admiring, you know, a, a particular person in a field that maybe we become almost slavish in imitation at the outset, trying to trying to go about things using the same same type of phraseology or inflection or verbiage or whatever else. And it may take a while to find one's own voice if you're too cognizant of, of a person that you hope to be modeling yourself after. I, I don't know how that's all worked out in my life. I do feel, I hope that over the years I've tried to develop something that's you know, me and my own and not strictly an imitation of someone else. But it would be disingenuous of me to say that Scully hasn't been you know, some kind of major influence in that he was the first voice I heard that brought me into a love of sport. And the way he called a baseball game, I, I still think he's the best that there ever was and that Anyone who's come in his wake, we've all been <laughs> trying, trying in our own way to, to, to you know, even approximate what it is he did for 67 years with the Dodgers. So, you know, thank you for bringing that up. I love him. I notice that he has become a Twitter user and first. I mean, Vin Scully is now tweeting at the age of 92 or 93, <laughs> which I find amazing in itself. So uh, I'm proud of him at that age to be able to take on something new. And his tweets, as you might imagine, Kevin, are eloquent. Now, as to the Beavers, uh, it's an interesting third season. Clearly, that's true for everybody this year in college football. I thought Jonathan last year showed in year two a tremendous jump and was ready to take another big one this year. And I don't, I don't want to say was, I think still is, but the circumstances are a little bit different. I, uh, it's a tough schedule, all you know, playing everybody in the North and the crossover game going to Utah in the South. I mean, these are, these are tough games, but I like what Jonathan has done. I like what he's doing, regardless of whatever the record ends up being in this abridged season. He's recruiting the right way. He's building a program in his way, in a way that's similar to what he experienced as a player 20 years ago for Dennis and for Mike Riley. And so I don't know what, I don't want to predict a certain number of wins per se, but I do think I'm on fair ground to say the team will improve again. They'll be better this year than they were last year. 
And when we get back to whatever normal means, I think we'll see Jonathan continue to build this thing and get the Beavers back to postseason very soon. He learned quite a bit from Chris Peterson, didn't he? Yes, he did. And and I think Washington fans, to some extent, are appreciating him a little bit more. You know, you know offensive coordinators, mm-hmm. defensive coordinators – are the most maligned people in the world. If if the defense gives up a touchdown or the offense doesn't score one, suddenly you know it's the coordinator's fault. Well, Jonathan, as a coordinator, was very good and resourceful. He helped get Jake Browning into the Heisman conversation and help Washington go to the Final Four. Now, granted, it's Peterson's offense, yes, but Jonathan, <laughs> you talk to Chris, Chris gave Jonathan the gave it over to him. So Jonathan's mind, I think he showed that in his first year at Oregon State, that he is very resourceful and adept at calling plays, at having an instinctive feel for the right play at the right time. Now, Brian Lindgren is his O-coordinator, and Lindgren calls the plays, but it all kind of runs through Jonathan, and they work together cohesively. So I think what Chris Peterson has bequeathed to Jonathan, it's, it's huge. You're right. It's huge. And between Peterson, Erickson, and Riley, Jonathan himself has learned under some great coaches, and, and I think we're seeing the fruits of, of what he's building now at Oregon State as a result of working for those guys. But Peterson in particular, he spent six years uh, essentially as a Chris Peterson right-hand man. It's rubbed off beautifully on Jonathan, and he's communicating that vision to his players. It's been fun to watch unfold. Mike, one of the things that I think is uh, imperative that people notice when they're listening to any baseball announcer is the amount of stories, and you really not only are a broadcaster, but you're also a storyteller. Do you see that equally uh, the same or a little bit lesser when you're calling football and basketball? Yeah, there's no, Kevin, it's a different realm altogether. You know, occasionally the format, will allow for for more of a reminiscence in football than us than an anecdote in baseball you know for example in game one of the world series suddenly now the graphics on fox are invoking babe ruth in 1921 mm-hmm. invoking the 1912 world series baseball's continuity the characters the history the historical aspect of the game lends itself to, as does the pace of the game. If you have uh, Tyler Glass now throwing 112 pitches over four-plus innings, there's time. You know, there's time to, to develop a theme or there's time to harken back to something you'd read or something you saw. Football, just particularly in the no-huddle era we live in, there's not even a time to regroup, catch your breath for a huddle. You're just back up to the line of scrimmage, trying to set the formation, trying to call the next play. And then when that plays over, Jim Wilson, who I have the honor of working with as my analyst has, he has a very quick amount of time to try to explain why Jamar Jefferson was able to hit the hole and gain eight yards because News Boonham delivered a good block to seal the line and open up a lane and Jamar juke through it. Now we're back up to the line again, ready second and two or whatever. And you're going and going in the in, in football with the pace these days. So there's obviously less time to spin back to, well, Terry Baker in the game against the Huskies in Seattle, you know, whatever, in, uh, in 1961 did this. You don't, you just don't have as much time to do things like that. Basketball is even more frantic and frenetic oftentimes in pace. 
And with the amount of inventory with commercials and reads, and that's good. If, if you're doing reads and you're playing a lot of commercials, that means business is good. And that means I can get paid and, and we can keep the thing rolling and get stay on the air. But, you know, in basketball, the pace is quick and they're just, it doesn't lend itself to as many anecdotal opportunities. Whereas baseball it has such a long, rich tradition that if you paid any attention to it through the years, then certain plays happen in a game in 2020 that you can say, well, that reminds me of a throw Roberto Clemente made in the 71 World Series, something like that. You just don't, you don't have that opportunity in the other sports as much. Recently, we saw the retirement of uh, one of the legendary announcers of a sport that, um, well, Oregon State doesn't have, but uh, Doc Emmerich uh, just retired. Were mm-hmm. you familiar with, at all with his work, or is that something that you just never never stepped into the hockey situation? Kevin, it's a terrible gap, void, emptiness in my life to not know the game of hockey. I will tell you that I grew up in L.A., and so gravitated, as I've said, to the great announcers of those games, Enberg, Chick, Vin Scully. And I even, while playing around with the dial, came mm-hmm. across a, some language and verbiage that sounded pretty exciting. It sounded good. A great announcer named Bob Miller for the oh, L.A. Goodness, Kings. Yes. And I feel like if I would have locked in at that same age, at seven, eight, nine years old, to the hockey, I might have, you know, just because hockey on the radio, I think, sounds incredible. I love mm-hmm. the sound of hockey on the radio. Listen to Dean Vroman through the years in Portland. I didn't really understand all of the verbiage and nomenclature, but love to hear it, love to listen to it. Sure. But I never, it, it, it never took, I guess there's no, no other way to put it, it didn't take with me the way the other three sports did. And now at the age of 62, I've got no shot. <laughs> really, to ever become a, any kind of knowledgeable fan. But during Olympic hockey years, when the Olympics are going, I find myself listening with great pleasure to hockey on the radio during the Olympics. And I find when I can come across hockey play-by-play, just bouncing around, I enjoy it. I know of Doc Emmerich's legendary status. I've heard clips of late honoring him and his retirement. He sounds... Wonderful. Awesome. But I'm not one. I can't say that I've appreciated him or the craft of hockey play by play in the way that I should. And I I know that's a big gap in my life. Mike, I can't tell you how many hours of uh, entertainment I have found in my lifetime listening to you. So I want to deeply tell you that I appreciate everything you've done. Uh, for all the sports fans who've had a chance to listen to you. I know here that uh, we've got P. Huff, one of my uh, colleagues here, who uh, is an Oregon State Beaver, uh, not only at heart, but uh, everywhere you can imagine. And and, uh, I think it's a pleasure of him just to hear it. So uh, anything you want to ask Mike, Perk? Well, yeah, I I had one thing I wanted to talk to uh, Mike about that you and I were talking about. Hi, Mike. This is uh, Parker Huffman. I introduced myself to you this summer out in Aurora when you were watching and commentating some baseball. Uh, it's been Yeah, great. it was really, thank you for that. That was fun to meet you. It was a fun, fun night. One night of baseball, the only baseball I called in the year yeah. of 2020, and it was a it was a wonderful experience. So thank you for introducing yourself that night. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's been great to listen to this conversation you've had with Kevin. Uh, one thing I did want to 
get your opinion on because me and Kevin were inevitably talking about these two guys was Jake Luton and Derek Anderson. Uh, we ended up mm-hmm. comparing those two and and saying that it it might be a fair comparison. I don't know if you would agree, but just wanted to get your uh, your take on the comparison of Derek Anderson and Jake Luton and what you think Jake Luton's NFL potential is. It's a fair comparison. Uh, the, the difference, of course, being, as you well know, that Derek had a lot more time in the system, yeah. a lot more games. Therefore, you know, I, I was thinking about Derek the other day, thinking about in 2001. I understand, I understand why Dennis played him some that year behind Jonathan as a backup. I, I sometimes regret that he did, though. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because because that burned the redshirt year he played as a true in 01, and he was that talented. But it was still Jonathan's team. And I remember he came into a game against Washington State with the Beavers down 34-3 to in Pullman, and the final was 34-27. Derek made some plays. The defense had a couple of pick sixes, a fumble scoop and score, a pick six, and Derek handled things well. And so that kind of, I think, gave, and once you play him back then, it wasn't this four-game deal. It was done. I remember thinking, okay, if he can be this competitive the rest of the way, then it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I know by the time we got to 05, I regretted that he was no longer there. <laughs> but that did bring Matt Moore to the program. Right. The point being that Derek, you know, Jake Luton has a strong arm, but Derek, Derek had an absolute howitzer. Uh, Mike yeah. Riley told me that the best throw, the strongest throw he ever saw any quarterback he coached at any level make was Derek against US, uh, against USC in 03. You may remember the play. It didn't result in a touchdown, which is hard to do, on a 90-yard completion. <laughs> but he hit, he hit Mike Hass at the Coliseum for 90. Mike got dragged down from behind. Steven Jackson scored on the next play. But Riley said that throw had everybody, including Pete Carroll, who told him after the game that that was one of the best throws he'd seen at any level. I mean, I I don't remember exactly how many yards it traveled. The point being that it was an incredible throw by just a a strong, uh, powerful quarterback physically in terms of his arm. Not quite, you know, Jake became a little bit better of an athlete, I thought, last year, getting in better shape. But Jake didn't have that kind of arm. He has a strong arm and a good arm, but he doesn't have Derek Anderson's arm. And he didn't have enough time in the system for me. He had a great year last year and, you know, showed some signs in uh, 2018 as well. But for me, it's hard for me to put the two in comparison because of their time at Oregon State and Jake's was limited. Mm -hmm. But. The thing that Jake did do was yeah, make all the right throws, the right decisions, 28 and 3. The touchdown to INT ratio speaks for itself. He's smart. He went to work and learned the system and got that bug in time to really become, a, in the Riley phrase, a gym rat. And Jonathan said he was working on Jake the whole time. You need, you need to, re- you could make money. You could play in the league a long time. You got to get really serious about your your study habits and studying film and learning every possible wrinkle in the offense we run. And Jake did that last year and it showed. And I think he's going to, if he maintains those same work habits, he has a chance to have a similar NFL career. Derek lasted forever as a backup guy. And I think Jake 
is could someday, you know, like Derek, be pressed into some starting work and and perform just fine. But even if he doesn't, I think he's got uh, a long double-digit type career of years ahead in the NFL because he's worked at it. He doesn't have Derek's arm, but he's got a good arm and he's smart. And I think uh, he's got a good future. Maybe not as many as Derek. That's hard to do. How many years did it end up? Let me see. Derek ended oh, up man. About, 12 or 13 uh, years, 13 I think. Yeah. 14. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he his first year in the league would have been uh, 05, and he was still mm-hmm. playing. played a little bit last year, I think. So yeah, I, he did. I think that's a long, Carolina. That's a long, long run, and I'm proud of Derek. He just kept plugging away and, and deserved the opportunity. A great young man. And now he hits the links uh, on a regular basis and has become quite a prolific golfer as well. So maybe that's in Jake's future yeah. too. Yeah, he's a good athlete. No, he's a, he was an excellent athlete and, and, a, and a great guy to have around the program. I, you know, I was so proud of him when he – I know it was an, as an alternate, but he made the Pro Bowl and he did some good things in his career and uh, – uh, really proud of him, like so many. It's fun to watch the NFL, you know, the modern era games. There have been a lot of beavers scattered around dotting NFL rosters. That includes this year, too. It's been fun to follow and watch. And Mike Remmers at right tackle for Kansas City the other night in Monday Night Football, going with Jordan Poyer as a safety on the other side for mm-hmm. Buffalo. Ryan Nall, Artavis Pierce, uh, Noah Tungiai in the modern era, but over the years it's been fun to watch our guys play. Mike, one other thing before we let you go is uh, I'd be remiss if not recognizing the fact of what hard work like yourself, uh, uh, what it brings to you. But there's both of the colleagues that I have with me tonight and are uh, regulars on my show and on the show, our show, uh, Rory Noonhouse, who also was the person who uh, he was doing a lot of, well, not a lot. He was doing all of the video broadcast of that tournament that we were at. I keep calling it a tournament, but it really wasn't. But uh, Rory did some fantastic work there as well. And uh, I don't know if you mm-hmm. had a chance to meet Rory, but Rory is also with us as well today. So I don't know if Rory has any question. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Wa- I'm a big Wazoo guy. So I'm looking forward to this uh, this game in, yeah. in Corvallis. What are your thoughts about the uh, first game in in Corvallis. It's a good matchup. Uh, I know. I mean, already I think Vegas has made Washington State a favorite, which I find, eh, you know, unless you, I'm, I'm not sure I agree with that. Oh, but, <laughs> you know, I, I do I do think Nick Rolovich was a good hire. Uh, I do think he's he's got a little bit of a disadvantage than Jonathan. Jonathan in year three, just comparing rosters, and the game couldn't get much closer than the one last year. Yes. And I know it's different personnel, different quarterback. The run and shoot, well, yeah, I guess it big picture philosophically is very similar. Still, it's different than the air, the Leech Air Raid. So, yeah, I'll be interested to see. You know, the Hawaii threw 635 times last year. Washington State was the only other school in the country that attempted more passes, 710. But Hawaii did rush twice as many times as Washington State did. So there's a little bit more of the run in the run and shoot for Rolovich than than what Leach featured. So that may mean a bigger dose of Max Borgie, and I'm not sure that's a, a great thing for defenses. Borgie's, to me, a very talented running back. I know they're trying to figure out who their quarterback's going to be, whether Rolovich has announced that yet. Uh, they've got a couple of uh, uh, candidates that apparently both perform well in their scrimmage, and Jaden Delora, who they're all hoping can be another Marcus Mariota type out of St. Louis High. I don't know how many of those come around from the island, but he has a – I know he comes in with good credentials. Cameron Cooper does as well. 
you know, but I, they still have a lot of receivers, a lot of talented receivers that I think will prosper in the run and shoot. And I think they've got some work to do defensively uh, at home, even without fans and so on. I think the Beavers are going to find a way to win that opener, but it's an intriguing one. And Rolovich and Smith have a little bit of history with each other. Uh, and that's, I think, I think it's going to be a good game. I can hardly wait till we get to it. Mike, we definitely appreciate you spending some time with us and uh, sorry it was such a sappy conversation for a bit of the time that you and I were talking, <laughs> but uh, hey, you've brought a lot of memories, so we appreciate that and do nothing but create memories for everybody else as the, uh, the Beavers seasons continue on. So Mike, for that, we do appreciate it and we'll, uh, if you don't mind, as uh, well, I think you said it was all right, tap back into you a little bit later. Absolutely. Anytime, Kevin. You know, I good. really enjoyed it. Thanks for having awesome. me on, guys. Talk Thanks. to you soon. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Hi, folks. It's Podland's number one producer, Liam Flanagan, and I just want to let you know about sponsors. If you're a business owner or manager and you are looking for a great way to get your product out there, becoming a podcast sponsor is just that. Podcasts are listened to all over the world. Podland has had visits from places like Kenya, Ireland, Australia, Vietnam, and almost all 50 states. What's up, Alaska? Don't you like podcasts? Anyway, becoming a podcast sponsor could be the way to give your business the boost it may need. To become a Podland podcast sponsor, contact me, Liam Flanagan, at liam at podland.productions. That's L-I-A-M at podland.productions. Have a great day. Parker, let's talk about some picks, my man. Let's talk about some picks. How'd you do last week? Well, uh... It wasn't my best week. I think. I think That's, he's gonna tell us he sucked, Rory. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't wasn't great. Good. No. Um, because it, it you, was a tough week. I mean, let's just get right down to I it. I mean, it's everybody a tough had week. A, everybody had a tough week. Exactly. That's that's the one thing I did. Will you forget say. to put anybody in the lineup last week? Uh, yeah, I may have. Uh, fantasy was also not my week, but uh, the the one thing I will say, I felt. It was just an odd week in the NFL last week. It was. I got my ass kicked, and I tell you what, I still haven't found it since. Yeah. I know. The Buffalo Bills lost two in a row. I mean, that never happens. <laughs> it's, like, you know, what are we supposed on? to do? It's football. What are, you know, what are we going to do? I mean, yeah. suck, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, we'll we'll go over my, my picks from last week. Uh, this was week six in the NFL. I yeah, so we'll just get right to it so we can get right through it. Uh, <laughs> Cleveland it through it. Cleveland at Pittsburgh. I said it was going to be a close one. The spread was minus three and a half for Pittsburgh. I said you should take Cleveland at plus three and a half. They ended up losing by a little bit more than that. Um, Chicago at Carolina. Chicago was plus two and a half. Got that one. Okay, so I'm going to take that one. How do they do that every week? How, how are they 5-1? and one? <laughs> It is. A team that is that dull and boring? Well, I'll tell you Rory, what. Rory, they're not 5-1, and one, are they? Yes, they're 5-1. No, and one. no way. <laughs> yes. What? It's yes. I mean, I guess they do have a quarterback that's a Super Bowl MVP. 
Well, you know, and that's another thing. And the where the place that I really gathered a lot of respect for Nick Foles was when he was giving Nagy all he could on the sideline. And I, I think that. it was a Monday night game a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And he goes, no, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And they did. And they came out on top. Yeah. Uh, but, okay, game game three, uh, Green Bay at Tampa Bay. The spread was Green Bay minus two and a half. Uh, I said to take that. How'd that work out? Uh, I think Green Bay uh, got their ass beat. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's <laughs> what it was. They got their ass beat. <laughs> yeah, that that one might not have been the best take. Uh, but either way, we'll move on. Game four. I'm going to say it. New York Jets, not the New Jersey Jets. I said that earlier, and I think I said it last week as well. They played at Miami. Uh, I said, go ahead and take the over on this. There's going to be a lot of points scored in this game. (laughs) 47 and a half was the over, and they did not get there. And lastly, we got your Los Angeles Rams playing at the San Francisco 49ers. I originally was going to say take the Rams minus three and a half, meaning they were uh, expected to win by more than three points. I... I felt a little iffy on that. You know, I thought it might be close, but I thought for sure the Rams were going to win. And I said, take them on the money line. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. You know, the one thing is, is that uh, never happens either is seeing Adam Gase's eyes. That's right. Well, uh, of course, nobody would want to see his eyes, but that's another one. Nobody. Yeah, I think I think it's actually the opposite where you see too much of his eyes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> why does the are name they Uncle that Fester open? come to mind? It certainly will here in another two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, one last failure that I'll give you guys: five-way parlay. I said Miami, Kansas City, New England, Indy, and Baltimore. Didn't happen. Well, so, you probably have more chance of having a good parfait than a good parlay. Yeah, you could be right <laughs> about that. But you know what? We got one good week, one bad week so far. So I think this week is, I'm at least going to be in the middle. Well, let's know? get on it. Let's okay. see what you got. Yeah. All right. So this week we're just going to do um, five games, five-way parlay, and we're going to leave out the five guys because we haven't got the – the sponsorship from well you know and the other thing is nobody cares about those five guys (laughs) because those five guys usually turn out to be one or two and the rest of them suck yeah that's true and that was uh also the case but we're not gonna review that look at rory over here he's going yeah you know know, who's in first who's in second yeah yeah." well you know what i haven't heard any picks out of you bud let's hear yours let's go yeah okay (laughs) come on come on on, tiger cat all right week seven we got uh, five games for you here. Game one, Carolina Panthers are playing at the New Orleans Saints this week. Uh, spread right now is sitting at New Orleans at minus seven and a half, meaning they're expected to win by more than seven points. Uh, money line, New Orleans minus 357, Carolina plus 280 with the over-under sitting at 51 and a half points for the total in the game. I'm taking New Orleans on the spread at seven and a half. I think like they're the going to win by more than seven. 
Uh, been a little uh, funky year for New Orleans, but I think the offense will get it going here against the Carolina defense that really is not that great. And uh, I'm taking New Orleans, minus 7.5. This week, actually, it's a, it's an interesting one. I'm going all spreads. All well, spreads. When, I got a question Spread for eagle. you. When does Teddy Two Gloves get his running back back? Two Glove Teddy. I don't have that answer for you, but uh, I... Well, let's make something up. Rory, okay. when when do you think uh, McCaffrey's going to come back? Come if back. you were McCaffrey and you were hurt, when would you come back? Well, I would stay out as long as I could to get healthy. And then when we probably have to play, you know, the Buccaneers at the end of the season, I'd probably come back for those games and try to clinch that division. You know Buccaneers are no longer something on the side of your bucking head? They are not. Nope. They're, nope. Uh, they're a force to be reckoned with. And wait till uh, Gronkowski gets in the mix. They'll be... Uh, Almost a Did he get a tug last week? Touchdown? He did. did. Yeah. His jersey was dirty too. So yeah, you know, there you maybe go. That's uh, all he needs to play with the dirty jersey. Tell you what, though, I've seen him a couple times this year, uh, getting up a little gingerly after some hits. And it's well, tough you know, to maybe watch. that has something uh, to do with uh, the team he was playing with the night before. Mm. Oh. Mm. <clears throat> Could be. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what that <clears throat> was all about. Well, uh, anyways, I guess. Yeah, I guess we'll get that's on what to he's next saying one. anyways. Let's move it along. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, game two, we got the Cowboys at the best name in the NFL, the Washington football team. Which it sounds like they're going to keep that team name for next year. And I absolutely hate the idea of that. I think I think what it is is who's the owner? Uh, Snyder, Pretzels, Daniel. or something like that. Daniel, yeah. Daniel Snyder. I think he just can't come up with something that's not racist or sexist so he's just gonna stick with washington football team i think that's what's going on that that seems to work for him quite well <laughs> yeah. it's uh what's what about not... the lazy mexican <laughs> well, how about them dames uh yeah well that, that might work but i i don't know if the nfl would allow that uh you know, what the NFL is allowing is uh, Jerry Jones to still be in attendance, and that's uh, uh, <laughs> No crap. one wants to see that. That's no a crap one, shoot on its no. own. So. Yeah, I think there's probably some people that would like to see him in a little bit less control uh, of the team as well. But uh, the spread right now for that game is the Cowboys. It was minus one, meaning they were expected to win. It's now plus one against the Washington football team, and I think they're going to win the game. I really do. You know, you got Zeke, who has sucked. Uh, two fumbles, was it, last week? Yeah, I think two. it was fumbles. two fumbles. It, of course, it was so, the way the redhead handed him the, the football. Probably. That, yeah, that could have been it. That could have yeah. been it. But he's probably uh, walking around with a football uh, no matter where Glued he is to his this hand week. Now? Yeah, yeah, I don't, I I don't so. think he's letting go of it the, for the whole week. So I'm going to take the Cowboys at plus one on that spread. Uh, game three, Green Bay Packers at the Houston Texans. Uh, Houston Texans looking all right. Offensively looking good. Big reason, I would say, is Brandon Cooks go beeps. But I knew that was going to come up. <laughs> he's back, baby, and oh he's on my, my fantasy team. How many teams has he been on? Jeez. I don't know. I think it might have something to do with Romeo, but... Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? I think he's in Houston leading the Texans to another win. Yeah, well, I think he's not. Spread is Green Bay minus three. I'm taking it. I think it could end up being a close game, but uh, 
Green Bay is going to win at least by a field goal and have that end up being a push. Um, but I just, Houston's defense just really isn't, really isn't there. Uh, game four, Kevin. You're going to like this Uh-oh. One. Cleveland Browns playing at Cincinnati. So we got a, what do they call that game? Do they not uh, have The Battle of Ohio. Battle of Ohio. Yeah. yeah. You got to be high in the middle. That's of what I was going to say without knowing yeah. it. Should have done it. But uh, the spread is the Browns minus three. Uh, over under at 50 and a half. Somewhat intriguing. But similar situation. I'm, I think the Browns are going to win it. And at the worst, they'll win it by a field goal, and that'll be a push. So if it remains Browns minus three, I'd take that on the spread. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, game five, at the Las Vegas Raiders. The spread has the Bucks at minus three. This could be an interesting game. This really could be an interesting game. But I think uh, Tampa Brady, or what is it? Tampa. Tampa. Tampa Bay. Um, minus three, I think they're going to find a way to do that. And again, another situation could be a push, but I think that's going to be the worst it is. And I'll leave you with one last thing. The money line five way parlay. Just take these people to win the game outright. Eagles, Bills, Saints, Chiefs, Rams. I feel good about it. There you go. You heard it. Roy, what's on your mind? You, well, you've been. I'm, I, I heard that last on. pick, and I'm like, man, the Bucks are going to Vegas. Yeah. With Gronk. Yeah. They're gonna spend some time in Vegas. <laughs> I don't know if that's a great idea. I don't know. Good point. <laughs> Gronk may not get <laughs> out. Yeah. yeah I, he, he might not leave Vegas. He okay. might show up on Sunday. Uh, not a hundred percent. Or 110 percent, you yeah, know, you, <laughs> it might be good for Depends him. Depends on, know. yeah, which way he decides to go with it. I you guess. know, back which, in the day, uh, what you did when you went into a hotel room is you'd grab the phone book and you'd look around, just to kind of familiar, familiarize yourself with the town. If they still were doing that, well, of course you're not old enough. But you know, <laughs> a phone of book. course, I know you can't even find a phone booth, more or less a book. So if they did have a phone book, mm-hmm. and the first thing that Gronk would be looking at is bail bondsman. Why is that? Because where he's going to be. He's going to be in jail. He needs to get bailed. Old Fart Sports, it's been fun. It's been real. It's been real fun. And uh, it will continue to be all fun all week. And uh, if you don't get a chance to go to a football game, watch one on television. (laughs) Because that's what we do. That's right. That's right. That's indeed right. I want to say thank you very much for uh, everything that Liam Flanagan, our executive producer, does for us in Podland Productions. And special thanks to Mike Parker, the voice of yes. everything that is Oregon State sports. Yes. And uh, we're going to definitely tap back into Mike a little bit later down the down the road a bit. So, And uh, if, uh, if you can't have fun doing it, don't do it at all, right? That's right. This has been a Podland Productions production, recorded at Downstairs Studio in Portland, Oregon. For more information on Podland and for more Podland podcasts, go to podland.productions. While you're there, subscribe to the email newsletter for sneak peeks, giveaways, and more. Thanks for listening. Podland Productions. (laughs) 